0: to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, my name is Laura Boyle and I'm your host. Today, you're listening to season five, episode three. We're going to be talking a little bit about changes in relationship dynamics, some balance in those, and generally kind of finding a homeostasis within your polycule. My guests today are Shay and Leah of Leveled Up Love, which is an online community uh, regarding non-monogamy and polyamory. That you may or may not have heard of. You'll meet them in just a minute when we get around to that interview. Before we get to that, we've got a little bit of housekeeping. This week coming up, we've got my class on polyamory and parenting, which is running in two sessions, uh, one on the 23rd at 3pm. And then the recording will be available between sessions with a live Q&A for the second session on the 30th. Uh, So the one on the 23rd is a mid-afternoon session at 3 p.m. Eastern with the Q&A for that starting at about 5:30 and then the second one is a Q&A that's running at 11:30 p.m. Eastern so that it's at about 8:30 for my West Coast folks. The same ticket gets you admission to both of those as well as access to the recording. Your $15 purchase of a ticket gets you and as many members of your polycule who want to gather around a computer monitor access to the whole class. I'll be throwing that link in the show notes along with of course the blog, um, my social media. We've been having some really great conversations on TikTok. You should join us there if you're not following me already. It's at Ready for Polyamory. And uh, in general, our Facebook group, which is a really good community. We're about 600 people at this point. And, you know, we have a lot of fun. Speaking of Facebook communities, that's where today's guests sort of got their start in doing polyamory event organizing and education. So, Without further ado, we'll go into this interview with Shai and Leah of Leveled Up Love.
1: So thanks so much for being with me, Leah and Shai. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourselves a little for our audience in case anyone doesn't know who you are?
2: Well, I'm Shai, uh, Shai Fishman, and I'm co-founder of Leveled Up Love. It is a platform for conscious open relationships, um, mainly community education, and events. And uh, Leah, my lovely (laughs) partner, uh, is my co-founder.
3: Yeah, so we created Leveled Up Love years ago when we were frankly struggling to make this very interesting, challenging, beautiful way of loving work. And we just found that there didn't seem to be a community out there that was really accepting of the hard parts of this journey. So we just created our own and it really snowballed from there, how many people like us are out there.
2: What what we also um, realized when we went out on Facebook and joined other polyamory communities was that uh, there was a lot of anger and friction out there. And we wanted to create our own Facebook group, which now has, uh, I think we just hit like 8,000 members from 95 countries. Wow. and the big the number one ethos is uh you know disagree without being disagreeable be kind to each other
3: Fairness. yeah
2: uh we take it so seriously so yeah that group uh, find us on uh on facebook leveled up love
1: <laughs> yeah definitely a lot of facebook groups can be relatively contentious or like depending on how they're run and moderated it can be sort of a wild experience so it's great mm-hmm. that you guys were able to build a community that matches the way you wanted to experience these relationships and to help people sort of build their own uh, experience with this in a way that was more supportive, right?
3: Yeah, I I would add that uh, Gabor Mate said something really incredible in a documentary called The Wisdom of Trauma, highly recommended for anyone who suffers from anxiety or especially around this. And that it was the idea that what really hurts about hard things is not the thing, but the feeling that we're alone with our feelings. And in Leveled Up Love, we really don't want anyone to feel like they are alone with how they how they feel.
2: Yeah, and um, it's also important to note um, how we've evolved, both of us, um, and how our community has evolved because of that, because our messaging kind of changed. Um, I was i uh, I'm a recovering polyvangelist for one. And uh, so now I, are. <laughs> you <Not> know, me. <laughs> I, I really, you know, was out there just like, why would anybody do monogamy? But now it's mm-hmm. really about conscious relating and honoring everybody's choice and everybody's journey. This is certainly not for everyone. And the biggest shift for us honestly happened when I ended up reading polysecure mm-hmm. and we eventually brought. Jessica Fern on as one of our key educators in our, in our program. But when I, when I heard that book, um, I, I did the audio mm-hmm. version. I think I drove for many, many hours. I spent a lot of money on gas listening to that book. Um, <laughs> and it was incredible for me to finally understand that just because a polyamorous partner gets it intellectually, it doesn't mean that their nervous system is going along for the ride. And once I got that, that it wasn't just like a quote choice that somebody makes in their mind to get it, to understand it, to want to share, to not feel jealousy. It was literally rooted in, like in their cells and in their nervous system. And it's not something they could choose simply choose to not be right. Uncomfortable, you know, with jealousy and beyond uncomfortable. So our, You know key focus is on first for us to understand but then to share the intersection of polyamory and you know woundology and traumatology and and all of that
1: yeah i was at a conference this weekend where someone in the middle of one of their classes um about polyamorous relationships cited uh jessica's book in trying to talk about sort of this idea of earned secure attachment and addressing your traumas Mm -hmm. within relationships and how important that is and how sort of acknowledging where your partners are and the sort of changes in growth that you might need to do and being willing to admit that like the style that you thought was going to work for you when you walked into this might not be the moment like the style that's working for you at the moment when you're in it because you might find that something is particularly triggering of someone's attachment wounds or particularly difficult and like none of us are perfectly healed humans at the moment that we're existing in life right so we need to be prepared to, like, go with where we are and adjust accordingly.
3: It's it's such a valid point. And, you know, when I met Shy, I had met him about three weeks after I separated from a 12-year monogamous marriage. The only experience I had had with anything open was kissing a stripper at a strip club with my <laughs> ex and a horrific um, attempt at... A swinging lifestyle from like family, not family, friends, friends, adult friends of mm-hmm. ours. And I was like, yeah, that looks horrible. So, you know, when I met Shy, I was like, wow, there's this whole other way to do this with integrity and disclosure and honesty. And, but then as we went into it a very specific way, there was a very specific structure that we mm-hmm. went into right away. It took me several years of unpacking my needs, my boundaries, um, and that midpoint between how much openness do I want versus what can my nervous system handle? And I realized I was like, Oh, I don't have to do it this way. There's other ways we can adjust this. And that's what we've been doing is fine tuning where we sit on the spectrum mm-hmm. of what our structure looks like rather than the very extreme way that it began.
2: <laughs> yeah. Let me, <laughs> let, let me share some vulnerability here. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Leah's, like a very unique way. What in the world is she talking about? Your listeners might be like, tell me more. What, what strange might not be thing have that. they done <laughs> strange it, that nobody else has done.
3: It was strange for me.
2: So we, we, um you know, uh, I I was monogamous for decades and then uh, ended up, um, you know, bringing up the concept of polyamory with my now ex-wife and um, her name is Danielle and Danielle and I like literally had a three-year discussion before we opened up Mm -hmm. and we finally did. And then seven months later, she asked me for a divorce that never happens and it just was too difficult for her and i didn't understand why she couldn't just get it like just get it it's free love it's so simple right so she went on to have a relationship with uh, her at that time the boyfriend that she, who was my metamor and i and i had a relationship with her metamor technically and when she asked for a divorce i said you know what let's ask everybody to move in instead of like splitting up the home so we ended up living with her boyfriend, my girlfriend and four kids. So eight of Mm -hmm. us lived on the same property for about three years. So it was an amazing transition, a very pretty healthy transition uh, for the kids. But then when I started, uh, when I went on to continue in polyamory, I had this idea that you always had that I was a very committed person, mm-hmm. so if I had two partners, they were both my quote primary partners, even though that doesn't make sense, right? You can't have mm-hmm. two primaries. Um, but
1: well, I mean, some people well, feel you like can. Can. it works it just... for everyone. <laughs> I guess what I'm
2: what I'm saying is the word primary it, it, it implies it, only know, it's one. A a it's a paradox. Sure, yeah, it's but, one of those things. But I had two two committed relationships yeah,
1: yeah. at mm-hmm. a
2: time. And it worked ish, right? Until it didn't work, until I, you know, one would argue that we transitioned when it wasn't a match anymore. But when I, met, so when I met Leah, she was coming into a relationship that, you know, at the time was one and it quickly transitioned as well. And then six months later, after Leah and I built really deep roots together, I met Chrissy and went in deep really fast because that was my modus operandi at the time.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: And little did we know, little did I understand that Leah was in some ways being re-traumatized from her old abandonment and rejection history as a child, as a a partner, um, you know, throughout her life. I, again, back then didn't know what I didn't know. So I went forward with it, assuming that Leah just needed to walk through the gauntlet and she'll come out on the other side and everything will be fine. And, you know, four years later, five years later, until I finally read Jessica's book, did did the light bulb go off for me? I think it went off for her earlier, but it really went (laughs) off, really (laughs) went off for me and I changed my ways. Like I decided that it was time for me to actually change how I practice polyamory, which ultimately led to a lot of things like the secure poly collective program, but also, um, this new phrase, would you like to share?
3: Okay. Yeah, so the philosophy we're cultivating around open relating in any form is eco-amory. And we love the environment, so Mm -hmm. ego feels really good because it's approaching love from a way that is incredibly mindful and conscious about how it moves through the entire relationship environment, everyone who's involved, and looks at it as a holistic ecology. And the goal is to create fulfilling, healing, and sustainable open relationships. Because in general, if we like a relationship, we'd like to keep it. And what we find is that our approach, we didn't know what we didn't know about attachment and trauma Mm -hmm. and attachment primal panic, which is something Jessica talked about, which explained what I experienced in the beginning. But what we're finding is that people are venturing into this uncharted territory with no map, no compass, no guide, and an otherwise healthy, maybe not easy, but healthy and productive exploration into this is thwarted simply by all the obstacles we didn't see coming. So luckily we took a bunch for the team. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) But and we almost, there were moments, we had real crisis moments, but each step of the way we asked each other, do we want to make this work together? And how do we find our sweet, juicy middle that mm. can work for us? And that's all we want for everyone.
2: And, and what's interesting too, is recently I've been thinking about the ecology, but it's like the internal environment and the external environment. Yes. So to put more, more color on that, the internal environment is the your parts. Mm -hmm. you've got a whole ecology that had your 12 year old your six year old your 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 history of trauma and different different relationships what does that look like and how can we talk to those parts and love those parts up and work with them and then the external um ecology or environment is not just your partners but your partner's partners and maybe even their partners partners and how do we outreach to our metamors? and that again um to give an example is Leah and I are dating somebody new and I've been actively reaching out to her husband to Mm -hmm. build a brotherhood with him. And that's become one of the most beautiful parts for me of polyamory in general is like going from like, who's the boogeyman? Who's the boogeywoman on the other side that I don't know Mm -hmm. to, Hey, I'm normal just like you. And I'm scared just like you, let's talk about it. And brothers and sisters start to heal. I think, you know, stuff that's transgenerational.
1: Yeah, so I relate to a lot of that, definitely. um, Throughout my own polyamorous journey, I've been in all kinds of different configurations, as listeners of the podcast have sort of gathered from bits and pieces that have come out, things like I lived in a cohabiting V that was one of those two primary situations that you guys were talking about for several years. Um, And also, I was in sort of more heavily hierarchical and now i'm in less hierarchical setups right so like this sense of you need to figure out what works for the individuals involved and adjust as needed to sort of maintain homeostasis for the whole polycule right like make sure that everybody's actually healthy within the network it's like if you're all a connected lake system how do you avoid making it so that there's a storm at one end that doesn't impact everybody all the way across. Or that when it does, you're at least being mindful of how it will, and taking care of one another on the other side of it. And I think that yeah, there, really there might be approaches that are,
3: oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there might be approaches that are more like, I'm the sheriff around these parts. Now guns blazing coming in, I want what I want. And I think that certain folks will want that and are comfortable with that degree of sovereignty and autonomy and flexibility great what we're finding is that as people are adapting to the idea of this
1: mm-hmm.
3: the idea of care it's really based on caring for the ecosystem you don't have to be best friends you don't have to be lovers mm-hmm. but there's a sense of rather than what can i get out of this exploration and take for myself instead of how can i add to this ecosystem what well, can like i shared bring
1: stewardship and compassion yes, for the I relationship network as a whole yes. right i love that word a tweet yep. that i had recently get a little bit big nothing i do ever goes viral but a little bit big was one that <laughs> says <laughs>
3: uh
1: i want my polyamory to be a little bit less worried about compersion and a little bit more about compassion oh because <sighs> i think if you're compassionate <laughs> first the yes. rest of it will follow
2: yeah, in your yes. network all around yeah yeah
1: because like I think it's great to strive for a particular emotion in a particular moment but even if you're not feeling it if you act compassionately toward the people in your network be it your partners or your metas eventually you'll get to a place where the rest of it will be above neutral at some point
2: yeah yeah
3: oh 100 percent conversion is always a concept i've struggled with and there are ways it's used as a weapon to mm-hmm. say, well, you don't belong here or you must not really love your partner if you don't feel it. And what I'm finding is that like, to your point, it's like, it's like a flower. It's like an orchid, very delicate orchid that requires very careful nurturing to grow and it's easily killed, mm-hmm. but with the right care, which starts with compassion is like the soil mm-hmm. for that to sprout under the right conditions. Yeah. And like, as
1: uh, one of our blog posts here says, compersion is not mandatory, although it is a wonderful fringe benefit.
3: (laughs) Ah. I like that. that. I
2: love that. Well, we're going to make this podcast edition go viral. We're just dropping a lot of really (laughs) amazing uh, truth bombs here. (laughs) Um, I wanted to share a little bit about um, what we call the five pitfalls of open relationships.
1: Sure. I'd love to know so, what your top.
2: Yeah. My top, my top five. Uh, and that's from like, for, for, for us personally, but also to all the polyamorous mm-hmm. people we've surrounded ourselves with and, and the members in our group, I think we were able to group it into these five areas. The first is obviously community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have many, many people, especially who, who are not near major cities who feel alone. Um, so having community, having people to talk about these things that, that are so foreign to everybody else around you is important. You know, there are many, many people who seek out their therapists for support when they realize they want to be poly and they're like, no, what is that? Polyamory, close the doors. You need to work on each other and not, you know, ever think about opening up. Mm-hmm. So having a community of, of like-minded people, I think it's important, but very specifically a community that is about what we just talked about. Not a community that's just about, well, you have boundaries and rules and here's how it should be done and don't be a unicorn hunter and all this judgment, but a compassionate community that is going to help you, you know, help you help you like stair step you into to the, um, the, this, this, this landscape. Um, so yeah, by having all, all of our members, I think, I think we've created that the, the second pitfall is education. So not all education is created equal, right? We've got plenty of books out there that we can read, but some obviously stand out like Polysecure. So educating people on the critical questions they should be asking, like, what is their big why? Why are they even choosing non-monogamy in the first place? Because that will inform a lot of things. If they just want casual sex, fine, name that. But if you're looking for growth and service or financial support, board or whatever, let's figure out what your driving core human needs are to make you want to choose this particular strategy of relating or any strategy, right?
1: And even as a tangent under that, that's very important. What are the whys behind the particular structures you've picked within how you're relating? Mm. Are there whys behind the rules you've chosen or the structure you've chosen? So that then if for some reason, they're not serving you, you can look back at that core why and figure out a different how to achieve it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So you're, we always say that the first like w- one of the questions, why, who are you doing it with? Like, where are they on their healing journey?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, what part, what, when, what time of, of your, of your, of your life, you're attempting this, those three questions. Mm-hmm. Um, why are you doing it? Who are you doing it with? And when inform the style, what style you choose? That's the, the, the next question. Right. And then also like, how how are you going to thrive what are the tools who are the guides um mm-hmm. how are you going to succeed instead of um struggle so um yeah so education is very important and then the third one is trauma and trauma healing i i feel that that's just the elephant in the room that many of us ignore uh, with our different attachment styles we probably ignore trauma even more
3: well, I don't even know that many are aware that it exists and yeah. how it affects us aren't. day-to-day.
2: Yeah, yeah, you said earlier, yeah, that they think about trauma as like, like what you get, the Vietnam car war. accidents, or yeah, if you're a car, in a war or, assault, or whatever,
1: right? Right. right. Not the like little t or... traumas of regular life don't occur to people right. as the things that matter when, in fact, they're what inform most of our interpersonal relationships.
3: Yeah, exactly. And like,
1: if your little t traumas all don't play together well, it will definitely change the way. <laughs> You interact with your metamores or your telemores and whether you can actually have a kitchen table dynamic or you need a little more space or what it is that you personally choose to do
2: hmm. uh, i love i love these uh going on podcasts because this little teeth trauma thing i'm stealing from you now <laughs> <laughs>
3: little, little baby trauma toddler traumas
2: little tea <laughs> trauma
3: like, yeah. little tea trauma
2: yeah huh? so you Big know tea
1: people are scared to admit they have it trauma <laughs>
2: yeah yeah there are right yeah because it's better to it's easier to bury it um because you can go on with your life and and you know go go to work Mm -hmm. and stuff
3: well I think it's the the biggest thing is when you're not conscious or aware or or accepting of that it's not your fault it's
2: Mm -hmm. everyone
3: else's fault until becoming conscious you are now taking responsibility and that is a very hard jump
2: yeah it's a huge
1: step realizing that you need to start doing this healing so that you're not bleeding on the people who didn't cut you is a giant oh stealing that too
2: Mm, a giant You're good (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah i think that those are the first three and then the fourth one is um a pitfall is dating people don't realize that when they date as a polyamorous person the game done change you can't just um go on a regular dating site and just in your profile, I am polyamorous and expect any likes or, or messages. So, you know, talking about how to create, uh, you know, uh, events and online events and, and guide people to the right dating sites and how to set up their profiles and how to get the best results is a whole full-time job. So that's a piece that I think is a pitfall that folks need help with. Cause they don't realize they think they're just single again, but they're single with like uh, a scarlet letter, right? That says they're polyamorous, which is most people will stay away, especially from men who are polyamorous, right? Women are like, whoa, right? Unless you date your mm. own kind, which is a whole <laughs> which is a whole other discussion.
1: Yeah, it's a whole thing. And if you are trying to just date among the polyamorous dating pool, then you run into the and who's so polysaturated that it's like yeah. impossible <laughs> to get in their skin They're good at it. They're not available. And right, they're good at it, <laughs> they're not available. Like Yep. months filtering right you know you're talking yeah. to someone who's trying to find another serious relationship and has been on and off trying for a couple of years it's a world right. out there yeah,
2: yeah. get in line get get in line please i'm polysaturated
3: yeah right. you know i think it so owns, opens like, up a world, world of availability but it can not be that
2: yeah
1: right and you just sort of have to line up right in time to that when are you trying to do this becomes very important
3: yeah exactly
2: yeah. And the last one to share is that um, you know, we find that we we lose a depth of connection. Let's be honest. Like love is is we, we say that love is unlimited and expansive, and um, but there are limitations on time. And when you're splitting yourself two ways, three ways, or more, you are spending less time with, say, your primary partner and you start to lose that depth. Right. So um one of the things we realized was like by bringing Tantra into our life, we're able to increase the quality of our connections and deepen our connections in a way that at least if we're having less time, at least we've doubled up on the quality of time and we feel closer to each other. And that really, I think, helps things um, along. So, yeah, those are the the five pitfalls, the things we we try to help people with.
1: While I think as a premise, I fundamentally disagree with your assertion that less time means less depth of connection. I see how if you feel badly about the amount of time that you're losing, you can increase the quality of the time that you're spending. And that'll rectify for most people that feeling is an absolutely valid point and something that a lot of people need to have pointed out to them, especially early on in these journeys, right? Because losing time especially if what you're losing is the quality time because, oh, we've overscheduled ourselves Mm -hmm. and now we only spend time with our nesting partners in passing, we're ships in the night or whatever. We only see each other to do practical things or whatever. That's definitely a really common pitfall that people land in frequently.
2: I think that's what I meant to say, yeah.
3: Yeah, a shaded nuance. I love how you phrase that it's the kind of time you're losing. This was definitely something we experienced where, between jobs, travel, kids, mm-hmm. I had noticed that uh, I was beginning to lose the dedicated quality time we had because it was a lot of it was given over to another partner and then we just couldn't seem to sync up outside of it. But, you know, another shade to that is it's definitely what you're doing, but yeah. I do feel, I know you can go deep with someone quickly and and all that. I do feel though, it's also about attention, because mm-hmm. if you are if you are dropping in every three months with someone, sure, you can have a deep conversation with them, but it's not going to be as deep as someone you see every week or two days a week. And you're actively practicing that attunement and sharing and things like that. So I do think time, there is a time element. <laughs> I, I don't know that, you know, Shine, I know each other in a way just because of our proximity and time together mm-hmm. in a way. I don't think anyone else knows us in this way, Um, but it really truly is about, are you paying attention to your partner when you're with them as well? Yeah. So, And like, I definitely
1: agree with that. There's a distinct difference in type of relationship between like a comet who you can only see every three months or every year or whatever. (laughs) And like your local partner who you don't reside with. But right, your local partner who you don't reside with, you might have the same quality and depth of connection with as the one who you yeah, get to reside with because you're managing that's the same true. quality time with both of them, you know. But that I definitely, definitely fell into some of that pitfall of not scheduling quality time. When my kids were young, we definitely had the, like, year and a half of, well, between trying to schedule time with the partners we weren't co-parenting with and managing yeah. stuff for the kids and whatever really managing us time was not a high priority and it should have been.
3: Yeah, of course. You know, and part of some of the how questions we have these extra, um, like I call them the dark horseman questions. Mm -hmm. And one of the question is, you know, depending on what you want to be available for to new partners, have you made room for that availability? And how will you keep the availability you have to each other intact? Mm hmm because we see a lot of what Jessica mentions as attachment primal panic is this, it's not even trauma related. It's just that your needs were being met by a person a certain way, a certain amount, and then that drastically changes. That's like a biological response. It's not a trauma response.
2: Yeah, I like, I like to call it writing checks, <laughs> your ass can't cash. Itus. Itis. <laughs> Itis. <laughs>
1: Yeah. On the blog, we've talked about this as dynamic differentiation. The thing where you have to sort of note what within your relationship is the thing that makes you feel particularly special and valued and keep some space available for keeping those things. It doesn't mean that you're being controlling or a bad partner to say, hey, keeping some of this in this manner special to us is important to me. You're know, you not like banning your partner from also going on fun outings with their partner by saying, well, I really like it when we do this kind of hike on this mountain. They can do it the next mountain over or go for long walks on the beach and still be doing (laughs) wonderful, active outdoorsy time with their other partner.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Jessica also mentioned a topic to us called Justice Jealousy, which we're contributing to her book about, her next book, um, hopefully where there's this idea of, you know, someone, you've been asking your partner to take you to the ballet for years and they Mm -hmm. refuse because it's not their thing. And a new partner comes along and suddenly they're in the front row of Swan Lake and you're saying, what the I don't Mm -hmm. know if this is explicit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A little swearing is fine. Yeah.
3: Right. And it's just not, that's where this care piece comes in, where you're getting in front of something like that and going, wow, why am I making that decision? Why am I changing my perspective on that? What's going on in the relationship that can clue, is there something going on that we need to address?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because it's if we're being honest about it, when we've got a nesting partner that is reliable and predictable, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: we're not gonna try as hard. You know, we get a little complacent, it's just the way it is. We have somebody new that we're trying to impress and win over because we want them in our life. Mm -hmm. We're gonna go on that hike we didn't want to go on (laughs) because that mountain's too high, or we're gonna go to the ballet, which we hate but what the hell let me make a good it's first first impression you know first
1: impression mm-hmm. yeah.
2: yeah and and i think that like let's let's in some ways let's honor that that that's a part of being human like you're if you're trying to impress someone because you want them in your life you might do some things that you wouldn't do with your nesting partner is it going to fly over no it's right. going to definitely upset, <laughs> you upset your partner <laughs> but again g- going back to compassion let's just be compassionate for for who we are and the parts that the parts of us that, that, you know, act in certain ways to get needs met.
1: Well, right. And we've talked on my site about balancing new relationship energy and established relationship energy and sort of Mm. visualizing them, not as like fixed states, but as different balances of like, I use the different Greek words for love of how to visualize it. Because if you think of new relationship energy as like a lot of ludus, the word for playful love, and eros, passionate love, and then established Mm -hmm. relationship energy as times when the balance is leaning towards like pragma, which is like companionate, and like storage, which is the familial one, and you go, okay, well, I just want to make sure that I'm not only throwing that at my partner. I'm showing them moments of the like playful side of me. And making room so for spontaneity clean. and things like that to show that care,
2: and I making to that intentional today,
1: choice. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because, like, taking yeah.
1: the moment to be intentional and compassionate makes everyone's little sort of rising tide happen, and then all boats are higher.
3: <laughs> of course, I'm not sure I know many people who would love that they're observing how they're we call it O-R-E, like gold ore, but old mm-hmm. relationship energy, but established you. If it was settling into that, and that's really the only dimension it's taking on. And let's say one of the partners doesn't have a new love or an NRE stage love. So now their relationship, unless they magically go out and find someone, which we just established is easier said than done. Mm-hmm. They're not experiencing that dimension, but observing their partner doing that. And Envy. Yeah. It it might not even be jealousy. It could be jealousy in that it feels like it's being lost, but it's also envy because you feel like it's something you're not having. So again, like total compassion for the tendency to do that. What we want folks to do is try to see it coming or when it does come, learn how to consciously talk through that so that the person feeling scarce isn't judged Mm -hmm. and the person On the other side is also not feeling judged.
0: We cut off on a little bit of a tangent in the conversation at this point about uh, building intentional security in your relationships and how sometimes uh, working with your partner to figure out what their needs are in a particular relationship or in regards to your activities when you and your metas are all in the same space is one of the changes that can take place within relationships or within the framework of a particular relationship that you're in over time in order to build that sort of comfortable balance for you. And that finding that balance is one of the reasons that people have so many changes within relationships, especially in sort of the early part of their polyamorous journey. We got a little bit sidetracked in our conversation by a very kind of in-depth example uh, from Shai and Leah's relationship that maybe won't be as completely applicable sideways across other people's relationships. So I ended up cutting it from our interview transcript. But here's the rest of what we talked about afterwards.
1: I think in general, this idea of like negotiating clearly and being more compassionate and aware of what people's potential triggers are and responding kindly about it is the best thing we can do. And also generally being understanding if our partners didn't know ahead of time until we were in a situation, because a lot of us are flying blind in these situations, especially at first.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, the acronym I have for that long phrase is when you walk past your bedroom and you hear people having sex and you realize you're not the one having it and you're like oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> so somehow I'm going to make that fit into oh shit because that's oh, it's shit just acronym. this it's just yeah. this feeling it's there's many factors but it's this feeling that none of us were trained for that oh my god that's happening and B, oh my god did i agree to that is that what consent to this actually meant and i think that's another big pitfall that especially newbies make in polyamory is consensual non-monogamy is not necessarily consenting to everything that could possibly happen, Murphy's law style in non-monogamy. And yeah, you're not going to see everything coming. That's why preparation can help, but it's also a question of what are you going to do What are you going to do when that shit hits the fan? (laughs)
1: There's (laughs) no way to be prepared for every possible scenario and reaction. And so being gentle with each other when there are reactions that you don't expect is the biggest thing.
3: Yep, exactly.
1: So I really appreciate you guys taking the time to come and be with me. Are there any sort of final thoughts before we wrap up here?
2: Uh, First, thank you so much for having us. I think you popped our cherry, we're on this podcast tour. So uh, (laughs) you're you're our first big podcast and we're grateful uh, that it was very warm and thoughtful and the exchange. Like we're literally taking notes as you're speaking. So we're all all learning from each other and it's really wonderful. We of course wanna invite any of your listeners who want to uh, explore our community, Leveled Up Love on Facebook, that's the name of the group, leveleduplove.com slash quiz actually will take you to how ready are you for an open relationship quiz and then leveled up love.com slash VIP. We'd like to offer your listeners a 30 day trial of our online workshops. We have eight to 10 workshops every month that involve everything from Jessica Fern, um, doing like an, an open Q and a, ask me anything session to, BDSM and Kink for Healing Trauma, Plant Medicine and Polyamory, um, Tantra. We actually have live Tantra demonstrations um, with demonstration partners. So there's there's so much in there, it's too much to list right now, but it's called the Secure Poly Collective. And that's uh all at leveled up love.com slash whatever. You can just go to the main page. <laughs> slash that'll
1: whatever. be in the show notes for folks. <laughs> You'll have to, to we'll have to notes, the show notes The links will be in there. <laughs>
2: yeah and i have to i have to go set up that that extension
1: (laughs) the slash whatever extension i feel like now i need to add one of those to my site it'll redirect to the about page
2: there you go
1: all right
2: right, thank Thank
1: you so so much for being with me guys
3: yeah of course again we just want to let everyone know that if anyone out there feels like they're the only one in this world who feels the way they do they feel alone like an outsider, like they don't belong. We promise you, you belong with us.
0: So, once again, I want to thank Shai and Leah for being with me to talk about changes in polyamorous relationships, different structures and strategies that people might work with uh, in order to find comfortable, secure, and thrivable relationships within a non monogamous context. And of course, if you're interested in more information about them, their links are all in the show notes. As we discussed previously, uh, their community online is called Leveled Up Love. uh, And you can, as always, find me at readyforpolyamory.com or on social media at readyforpolyamory. My next class that I'm running is going to be on April 23rd. That's polyamory and parenting. And I'd really love it if you were there. Um, You can find that information in the show notes as well. Uh, The tickets are at my Ko-Fi shop which is kofi.com slash ready for polyamory slash shop. As always, I'm really glad that you joined us for an episode of Ready for Polyamory. And I'm looking forward to seeing you here next week. Have a great week, everybody.